hello, this is Two Toads. Uh, this is Dr. Walter Aka. I have my co-host, uh, Dr. Gary Dennis and Dr. Kyle Dumpert. What's going on, gentlemen? What's happening? <laughs> I don't, I, Should I say it? So do you want me to say it? Should I say it? Go ahead. Greetings and salutations. Thank you. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the same podcast without that ridiculous, uh, entry. Uh, but so today, guys, we have somebody that I'm really excited about, right? Because of everything that's been going on. If you don't get it by now, we have like a COVID-19 themed podcast for right now because that's all we can really talk about. Uh, so what I did was I went out and I got an MD, somebody that could come on and, uh, give us an idea of what she's going through because she's on the front line of, um, this whole epidemic. She's an emergency room physician. She's kind of, I mean, literally front line, you know, and I'm so blessed to have her. Uh, on this podcast, and, and she actually took the time to come on and, and let us know what's going on, and so we can answer, you know, ask, you know, maybe ridiculous dental questions. I don't know how she's going to see it. Maybe at the end of the time, she might say, "Hey, I just, I don't ever want to come back on again." But you know, it's all good. We have a good friend of mine, Dr. Erica Chawa. How you doing, Erica? Okay. Um, I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I just take the time to introduce myself to your audience. My yes, name is please. Dr. Pinula Erica Chawa. And I am an emergency room physician down in Atlanta. I work in um, a pretty moderate size emergency department, and it has definitely been a challenging time for us. And so I'm really happy to come here and talk about COVID and what it means for your audience and dentists as well. So That's perfect. Uh, and I know we all have questions that we want to uh, ask. So I'll start with Dr. Dumper. Dr. Dumper, what's going mm -hmm. on? Talk to her. Uh, I guess my first question would be uh, kind of what the state of things are in Atlanta and uh, what precautions you guys are taking, uh, what the PPEs and everything else, um, you know, what are you guys doing to keep the patient safe and keep yourself safe? For sure. So, I mean, we're all watching CNN and seeing what's happening in New York and we saw what happened in Seattle and we in Atlanta are not quite at that point yet, but we are predicted to get there in the next coming weeks. And so I would say I am lucky enough to work for an institution that is taking the measures to prepare um, for what is to come. And so we are also predicted to get into the situation where we are rationing PPE. I would say in terms of the state of Atlanta, at least with my institution, it, it's getting pretty bad. I, when we go into the hospitals, I'm mostly seeing COVID respiratory patients at this time. We've divided our emergency department. So we have a respiratory section, we have a triage section, and then we see everything else. And that's just to limit the exposure that our providers are going through. And so when I go to the respiratory section, I'm generally seeing only COVID patients. And it's really, really shocking to see uh, people of different age groups. Um, I've seen people in their 30s come in uh, sick and admitted to the hospital. I've seen people 40s, 50s, 60s. The numbers are just going up. And I would say that here in Georgia, I'm not so sure that um, the people are quite aware of the seriousness of what's going on. And I'm just hoping that we 
get it together um, and we don't get to the point of what's happening in New York. But um, in terms of my institution, what I work for, I work for Emory University Hospital, and I would say our leadership is pretty amazing and has you know, told us that we should not be taking care of any COVID patients unless we have the proper equipment. And if that means that the hospital has totally run out and our department has totally run out, that means that we are not jumping in to take care of that patient. And it sounds really harsh and it sounds really awful. But if you think about the collateral damage of not having um, a protective equipment, I'm putting myself at risk. I'm putting my staff at risk. I'm putting my family at risk. And so the mortality surrounding that could be much higher than just sitting and saying, I'm going to wait here until I, I get personal protective equipment. So in, in order not to get to that place, our leadership has really been, you know, getting PPE from different sections, really hoarding it to try and prepare us for that time when we're going to reach our peak. And so I would say I'm blessed in that regard. Now, in terms of when I go to work, I have my one N95 mask and I do have to reuse that um, throughout all of my patient interactions because of trying to save up for what is to come. And so I get my N95 for that one shift and I use that N95 for the entire shift. The other night I was, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm talking forever, but the other night I had a, a, a patient who arrested and uh, it was a very um, uh, traumatic code. And unfortunately, after that patient passed, I took off my N95 and I threw it away because I can't reuse that. You know, you don't know what's gotten on that. It, this patient was uh, critically ill. And so at that point, I threw it away and I got my N another N95. And that's okay. Wow. So that's the state where I'm working. Okay, Dr. Dennis. So I have a, a question that's related but slightly off topic. Sure. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't the CDC in Georgia? The CDC is down the street. Yes. Right. Now, your governor. Oh. <laughs> um, so <laughs> what was it like 24 hours ago? He was like, Oh, I didn't, I just found out. Let's and, not and, get political. Let's not get political. Thank you. You see, <laughs> Dr. Choa, thank you so he, much. He, this is what I deal with. The, this is what I deal with, Dr. Choa. Hold on, hold on. Okay. Hold on. He put the, he put the, um, he, so he did the mandate or whatever, but then I heard he opened the beaches. Wouldn't that be the, doing the exact opposite of, so uh, I, I so I was reading this and I guess he the way he defended this was he was opening the beaches for people's wellness and that so families can go walking on the beach and you know while still maintaining social distancing. I think that 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 can be a slippery slope. I can see what he's trying to aim at, but unfortunately it could be a slippery slope because you open the beaches, everybody's going to come. I mean, I go to the grocery store, you know, down the street when I have to leave the house. Like today was my grocery run and I went to the grocery store and it was packed, packed to, it was packed. I, I don't, I, you know, when I've gone to Costco and things like that, they've had their, you know, social distancing. They only allow so many people in the store at the same time. But I went to this particular grocery store and it was just too many people in the store. And I just thought to myself, man, pe people were just free and, and, you know, just taking their time. I go in, get what I need and I leave. And when I go in, I wear my mask and I avoid contact with people and I do what I have to do. And I think, you know, I, I just wonder if, um, because of our leadership, you know, not being as, um, uh, not having that sense of emergency, like we need to, 
close everything down now. I wonder if the people in the state are also reacting the same way. It's super important for our leadership to take the lead so that the people may uh, follow. And so if the leadership is not saying, hey, this is we need to take this thing seriously. This is an emergency. Lock everything down, shut it down. Then the people are also going to take that stance. So not trying to get political, you know, Mm -hmm. on the show, however, but I do think there it sort of um, double signal here going when he was saying, Hey, you guys can open up the beach. We can open up the beaches. And you heard about the churches too, you know, allowing in some States, allowing churches opening up, which Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys read that one article in, in one, I think it was France. Um, They had a three day revival at this one uh, church in France. And that three-day revival, basically, it, they set off, so many people were infected mm-hmm. with COVID. They went off to their different places. And I mean, it was just, it was a nightmare. And so I worry as well with, you know, churches being so packed that that could be just uh, a source of a hotspot in those areas. So I think we really have to take this thing seriously. People are dying. Just today, I got like, you know, I'm in a doctor group. And several people's acquaintances are dying. They died, you know, and I have a family member, family friend in the hospital right now, an event. And people just need to understand that we need to take the precautions to halt this. So including our leaders. Okay. Um, oh, well, now l- when let people me... are coming into the hospital, are they are uh, are you treating everybody if they have symptoms as if they have COVID until a, a test comes back positive for them, and following that, if if you do suspect them of COVID, are you just wearing the the N95 mask? Or are you wearing a full you know gown, headdress, uh, face shield, everything? Uh, are you putting them in special rooms with negative pressure? Like, mm-hmm. can you, can you mm-hmm. walk through that at all? Sure. I, I will, I will preface this. I'll say first that every institution is going to have their different guidelines. And so sure. what I do at my institution will be different from what another institution does based on their volumes, based on, you know, the type of patients are seeing. So I will speak for my institution and I'll say is that we're triaging patients and we have some screening questions, you know, fevers, coughing, any respiratory symptoms. And if they um, say yes to any of those screening uh, questions, then they are automatically triaged to the respiratory side of the emergency department. Okay. And then they will be cared for by the designated uh, staff that is caring for respiratory patients that day. Now, if they do not meet that criteria, then they go to the other part of the emergency department. However, I will say I've worked on both parts of the emergency department and I have seen patients who came in with fatigue or they came in with abdominal pain. And as you start to talk to them, you start to realize that, wait a minute, this person is at risk for COVID. And when I saw that happening earlier on in the game, you know, I started buckling down and saying, I'm going to wear my, hope, no, hopefully nobody hears me, but I'm, I'm going to wear my N95 and my, my, um, eye protective wear for every patient who comes into the emergency department. Now, if I'm working in the, on the respiratory side, I'm wearing my full gown. I'm wearing my eye protection. I'm wearing my N95, my double gloves. If I'm working on the other part of the emergency department, 
I will go in to screen the patient and I will wear my N95, my eye protective wear. And if they sound like, no, this is a COVID patient, it's not just your straightforward um, non-COVID patient, I will, you know, take a step back and I will wear my full protective gear. Um, I would say that not everybody is doing that and it's not necessarily recommended. Some people are wearing surgical masks um, for the non-respiratory patients. Um, and so I would say that it's at this point, uh, I have a young child, 20 month old, and I'd like to not get COVID. I'd like to not bring this home to my child. And so I've made the decision that I'm going to wear my N95 for every single encounter. Now that's not what the CDC recommends per se, but that's what I am doing to protect myself and my family. Um, some providers will wear a surgical mask for every patient, and that's okay, um, which are forever changing every day. <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> mm-hmm. Dr. Dennis, mm-hmm. go ahead. Well, I, I, I was wondering, on a, on a regular day, before COVID, mm-hmm. how many dental emergency patients would you say show up to the emergency room on a daily basis? On a daily basis. So I would say it depends. So... We have you know, physician assistants. We also have nurse practitioners who we work with, and they will probably tell you that they see more dental patients than we do. So when they come into triage, uh, they're probably triage to fast track, and they're probably seen there. But when I was uh, working in a fa- in a department with fast track, I would say that maybe one, maybe one or two dental emergencies a day. Um, uh, depends on the day, but, and those emergencies depend, depends what you call an emergency. So people who have tooth pain, um, will come to our emergency department because for them, that is defined as an emergency. Um, and so you get your tooth pain, you get, we get frequent dental abscesses. I'll get a couple dental abscesses that we have to lance. Um, and you know, the, the current hospital I'm working at is more of a tertiary center. So we see, you know, way more sick patients. I don't get as many of the fast track patients, but uh, the sister hospital that I used to see, I used to see plenty of them a day. And so I, I think it just depends. But a lot of people who don't have insurance, as you know, are going to come to the emergency departments when they have tooth pain. I mm-hmm. see a lot of the complications of dental emergencies. Just the other day, I had a patient who had um, facial cellulitis. They first had a, a tooth abscess and the tooth abscess turned into like this, you know, um, facial inflammation. They got the tooth abscess drained, got some antibiotics, but the infection kind of spread to the outside of their face and required some IV antibiotics. I see that. Um, I saw someone who had a pretty significant abscess and we had to call oral, um, oral maxillofacial surgery to come in and kind of drain their facial abscess. And so we see a lot of the complications of that just because of lack of access to care. Um, well, and since, well, since COVID, uh, I know you're not on the, doing the fast track anymore, yeah. but but would you say those numbers have stayed the same, declined, increased? I would say probably declined a little tooth pain. My tooth hurts kind of com- uh, complaints, but the people who really need to come in, come in. So like the patient, the two patients I was telling you about the other okay. day, the ones with the facial abscess and the facial cellulitis, they came in um, because they didn't get it treated. Um, and so I think that it's definitely less complaints of toothaches. Um, uh, that we see, but I've seen in the last few weeks, two patients that I can think of on the top of my mind. Okay. Uh, can I jump in? I want to ask a question. So sure. when, it, when it comes to 
um, dentist, right? We've had this argument for the past, what, it's going on three weeks, whether mm-hmm. or not to open your practice, whether or not mm-hmm. to close it down. Are we really needed? Are we essential? Mm-hmm. Are we not essential? You know, mm-hmm. uh, right? And And so my question to you is, from your just your opinion, do you mm-hmm. think that dentists serve a purpose to try to lessen the uh, burden on someone like yourself by keeping mm-hmm. their practices open to see emergency patients? Mm-hmm. So I will say, um, uh, before I answer that question, I will say that let's think about the dental office, right? Uh, let's think about what you folks do as dentists. And let's think if you have a patient that comes in with suspected a suspected COVID infection or a confirmed COVID infection, and you are in there, um, you know, drilling on their teeth. You're generating a lot of aerosols. You're generating a lot of, you know, saliva, generating a lot of blood. There is a lot of particles in the air. And most of these dental offices are not, they don't have negative pressure rooms. You have this, these open spaces. You have um, several staff coming in and out, in and out. You're not necessarily wearing the N95. So you guys, you, you are at the level of risk as the ER physician, the anesthesiologist who is going to try and maintain the patient's airway. You're right there in the patient's airway. And so there is a substantial, substantial risk to the dentist, to the, the, the hygienist, to the people in the office if you start to keep your office open for suspected or confirmed COVID cases. Now, being said, there are people who need dentists. Look, I've had a lot of, I can say, I had dental emergencies. I grew up in Africa. I grew up in, you know, Swaziland. I didn't have the best dental care growing up. So when I came here, you know, I had a lot of issues with my teeth and I had times when I needed a dentist and I could, I could not could not wait. Okay. Whether severe pain, whether a fractured tooth, um, I needed to have access to a dentist. And I would say if somebody would be going through that right now and absolutely could not wait, where would they go? You know, so if someone has fractured their tooth, you know, and there's, you know, exposed nerve root, or, um, let's say someone's, I don't know, dentures are messed up or braces are messed up and wires gone loose or what are the dental emergencies, a, a, a tooth abscess, where can they go? Now, tooth abscesses, I guess they could come to the emergency department, um, but you, you kind of have to think with your office and if you are equipped to deal with these type of patients. If you're not, then you have to really set up a robust screening tool to really screen some of these patients. So, you know, maybe some telemedicine, talk to these people like, listen, you had a cough, you have a fever, you have this, you know, have you been tested for COVID? Have you, have you had this? And if they, you know, um, say no for all of these things, then, and if it's an emergency, whatever you define as an emergency, maybe you can see those patients to sort of lessen the burden to the emergency department because they always come because tooth pain always going to come to the emergency department. So, you know, if you talk about what role can dentists play in this fight, I would say, you know, really it would be helpful to see for dentists to see some of these emergent patients, but still protecting themselves. If you don't have PPE, if you don't have the capability to protect your staff, your office, then you really shouldn't. And that's just my take on that. But do I think dentist office and people need to see 
some of these patients to lessen the burden on the ER? Yes, but still taking in mind that they need to protect themselves, their staff, their families, and really don't need to be seeing every every single person. I guess that's my stance. Okay. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's all good. Dr. Dumper. Now, uh, if somebody does come in, say, with a, a tooth that's split in half, it's not abscess, it's just, you know, they touch it, tooth splits apart more, gives them that pain. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, what, what kind of treatments are available for them in the <laughs> ER other than here's some pain medication, go see a dentist? Pain medications, go see a dentist. Let me tell you, most of the things I do for dental emergencies in the ER is pain meds and uh uh, and or and or antibiotics. So, you know, someone had a fractured tooth that turned into an abscess tooth. And I said, go see a dentist. Here's some antibiotics. You know, I don't think that was a drainable um, abscess, but go see it. Go see a dentist. Here's some antibiotics. Now, if I can drain the abscess, I'll drain the abscess and then I'll give them antibiotics and some pain medication. But that's it. That's the extent of the, what I can do. If it's gotten to the point where it's crazy facial emergency, then I'll contact my people who are in the hospital, the oral maxillofacial surgeons, and they're always there to help if needed. But if it's a dental thing, they usually just tell them, go see a dentist. And for those who are uninsured, I give them the free dental clinic numbers, which I'm sure at this point are all closed. And so I'm literally just sending people home with some pain medications or some antibiotics. I'm not doing very much for them. They're not going to get good dental care in the ER, period. And I will say, we don't know how long this is going to go on, guys. We have no idea if this is going to be a two-week thing, this is going to be a two-month thing, this is going to be a three, four, five, six-month thing. We have no idea. So are you going to close your office for four or six months? <laughs> That's a good one. That's actually very true. <laughs> That's what the country's trying to figure out, right? <laughs> That's awesome. I love the way she ended that. Uh, Dr. Dennis, question. Um, Actually, uh, Dr. Dumper had a good um a good list of questions on the mm-hmm. right well what go, i could do i go. actually i wanted to ask a question real quick um so in new york right they're asking dentists to volunteer uh their time and services to basically help out in the overpopulated um emergency rooms or you mm-hmm. know, work with physicians uh, and this is i know because a friend of mine actually got a letter uh, she lives in um manhattan and got a letter basically saying hey we want to try to get you to volunteer Luckily, I mm. guess, or unluckily, I don't know, she's pregnant. So she just said, I'm pregnant. And they said, okay, thank you for your, your services. And then on top of that, they're also bringing back uh, retired physicians and nurses to help out, mm-hmm. right? I want to know what you think about dentists coming in and, and working with you on the front lines. One, do you think we're equipped to do that? And then two, uh, what do you think about retired, uh, older, hopefully older uh, physicians and nurses uh, coming back? Knowing that they are the level of, uh, uh, at the level of, you know, basically age to kind of be more affected by this. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I don't think it's fair for older physicians and older nurses to be forced out of retirement to come and fight this fight. I, I don't think it's fair to put them at risk. We know that they are at risk of dying and, and severe complications patients from COVID. So to pull them out of their retirement, I think is unfair and, you know, um, should not happen. Now, I know several people who have retired, who have retired and volunteered to come back, um, or at least, you know, read about several physicians and nurses who have retired and come back. Now, I believe I read about one retired physician dying after volunteering to come back to fight COVID. 
And it's really a tragic story. There's definitely a need for the help. There's definitely a need for the help. And it's a question of where are we going to get the help? I know we have a lot of house staff or residents who are working in the hospitals. Unfortunately, you know, I, I think this is a controversial area too, because these poor residents, unfortunately, are not getting paid anything and are also putting themselves at risk and, you know, putting themselves in situations where they may not have PPE. And so there's a question, do the residents need to come on board and, and, and be staffing the front line? And I would probably say if they're not going to have proper PPE or the proper resources, they really shouldn't because they're not getting paid enough for this. In terms of dentists and other um, staff that are not typically used to working in the medical setting, um, emergency setting, ICU settings, I think how in my mind, I'm thinking, how can they help? So how can a dentist come and help in an emergency department? Um, do you guys get any sort of triage experience? I would say that would be the one thing that I could see it potentially happening is screening, you know, triaging patients um, on, you know, fevers, cough, uh, um, you know, trying to get rid of the patients who don't necessarily meet criteria to go to the respiratory side. That's a way that dentists may be able to help. But honestly, I'm not sure that having a dentist work in the emergency department (laughs) (laughs) would be the best idea. um, Because I mean, how much medicine in terms of like, you know, um, Besides the teeth, I know you guys get a lot of, you know, uh, medicine in dental school, but in terms of your daily practice, how much medicine are you truly getting, you know, treating uh, people oh. with hypertensive <laughs> disorders, treating pneumonia, right. you know, if I asked you right now, what would be the treatment uh, for someone with community acquired pneumonia? What would y'all say? You know what? That's not, this. look, the question is on you, okay? Don't try to turn this back on I'd us. Say go to the hospital. <laughs> right. you know so, I mean, I, I don't good idea because like you know that's just not good care you know the people are not going to get good care you know if there's other things other ways you can help you know i think screening is a great is a great way to if we if once we start there's a lot of these centers are having drive-through um testing for some of the communities and so those are ways for people to get involved and other um uh, healthcare professionals to get involved so those are some ideas but i think if it's going to put yourself in a place where you are going to be outside of your expertise i would not volunteer for that because i feel like that is putting yourself and also putting the patient at risk um, for adverse outcomes. I think that was the nicest I'm way good? of saying. I think that was the nicest way of saying. Sit, sit, sit your ass at home. <laughs> Stay in the dental office. Stay in your hard, office. It's, exactly. hard, it's hard to sit at home when you're just used to being high achieving. You know, right. I think dentists are high achievers, just like medical doctors. And so, I would have, find it really hard for me to sit back and be chilling at home. I'll be you know, trying to figure out what do I need to do to help in the situation. And I know most dentists at this point are saying, what can I do? Because I'm not about to, you know, start taking care of these patients in my office. And, you know, my whole office is going to be gone. What can I necessarily do? So I, these are great questions. I think the answer is not really clear, but I still don't have a, a role that I can see dentists playing um, in the hospital. Okay. Dr. Dumpert? Um. I, I th- from what I've read, the, the thought process was we should all dentists uh, should be trained with proper infection control. And the thought process, I think, was we should be easily retrained uh, or we should be able to be easily retrained for 
maybe not diagnosing people, but, you know, handling the proper infection control stuff if we needed to help in some way in the hospital. Uh, a lot of us, as far as experience goes in a, in a medical environment, uh, Dr. Aka and myself, uh, we did a year at the VA hospital in Pittsburgh. So we were in operating rooms. Mm. We were rotating through a hospital. That being said, being a couple years out from that, I am not comfortable <laughs> going back in. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we don't deal with that stuff. So I've forgotten, you know, most of, you know, important stuff that, you know, if, if you're not using it every day. So yeah, I, I would not feel comfortable going back into a hospital setting, especially with what's going on now, uh, and trying to be retrained within a day or two to, to help out. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, I, I think that was the thought process from what I've read. And yeah, I'm just glad I haven't gotten a letter in the mail for that yet. <laughs> uh, I, I guess, uh, next question kind of going back to, to dental patients in the ER. Mm-hmm. Um, before all of this COVID stuff happened, um, what would you say to a patient coming to the ER for a dental problem as far as um, what kind of training do you get in medical in medical school or residencies in dealing with the teeth or the sure. stuff that dentists usually treat? Sure. I would say in terms of comfort, um, uh, we learn in, in residency, really, we learn how to drain, lance, um, dental abscesses that we know how to do. Um, most of us are trained how to do a simple blocks. Um, but, you know, if you're not doing those every day, sometimes it can be a little difficult, but you can always take a refresher course or even, um, you know, I hate to say this, but you can, there are many resources that you can look at and watch a quick video and refresh your mind on how to do a block. But we can generally do dental blocks. We, we have training for, um, lancing of abscesses. Um, we have training on how to manage, um, pain, uh, fractures. Um, but in terms of, um, any more than that, that's, that's really it. Um, and I think some people maybe who have deeper interests may do some more fancy things, but I would say most ER physicians know how to temporize something for and, and send someone out for a, a dentist to uh, handle. So we can lance abscesses, we can um, give dental blocks, we can give antibiotics, we can give pain medications, um, but other things like pulling teeth, teeth extractions, we don't do. Um, there's a few things that we wouldn't do in the ER. And do you have the capabilities in the ER for imaging, such as, uh, you know, the the little x-rays we take, uh, periapicals or pan- panoramic x-rays, cone beam CTs, that, those kind of things? Sure. So that we have CT imaging. This hospital doesn't have, the particular hospital I'm working at doesn't do panorex, but the other hospitals um, that I've worked at have had panorex. So most places will have, be able to do panorex or CT scans, but we can always do a CT max and we can take a look at all the dentition and see if there are any abscesses, um, uh, caries or anything else other emergencies that we need to look at. So we have the, the, we have access to imaging. It's just a matter of how severe the dental problem is. Now, if a person comes in with tooth pain or tooth abscess, I'm generally not getting imaging. I'm going to lance the abscess, give them antibiotics, pain medications, and refer them out to a dentist. Okay. When it comes to, uh, oh, sorry. When it comes to, um, uh, your, 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 um, emergency room or your hospital, do you guys have oral surgery residents that kind of go through there as well or no? 
We are very blessed that we have oral surgery residents. Um, we do have oral surgeons who come in. Now, I think there have been some um, changes that I can't speak of uh, with everything that's going on and trying to limit the exposure to their residents. And so, but we definitely have them um, who rotate through the hospital. Um, so they're present at most, I think, uh, teaching hospitals, fortunately. Um, I got another question too. When it comes to um, PPEs, right? You see, mm-hmm. you, you see that there's a lot of sh- shortage and stuff. Like mm-hmm. that. Do you think that we should kind of? I guess when it comes to the hierarchy, do you think dentists should be kind of second to last, or you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I've seen pay, you know, I've seen people walking the streets with all this kind of mm-hmm. protective, you know, um, PPEs and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, well, shouldn't it go to the front line? Shouldn't it go to the yeah. people that really need it? Do you think dentists should kind of give that up if your office is going to be closed? Like, for example, uh, uh, orthodontists, you know, right now they're mm-hmm. not urgent. They're not uh, essential um, practitioners. Should they donate that to the emergency room or, or should they just keep? I mean, what do you think they should do with that just to kind of help out as best as they can? Sure. I, I mean, I think at, at some point we're going to be strapped for resources, right? And when you're strapped for resources, dis- difficult decisions need to be made. You know, we see what has happened in Italy with ventilators. We see what has happened in New York, you know, with ventilators. You know, my, I talk about my, my, my family friend. They couldn't find him a ventilator for quite some time over mm-hmm. in California. So when you're strapped for resources, difficult decisions need to be made. When we get to the point that the frontline providers do not have N95s or to protect themselves, then yes, I do expect a dentist to give up their um, resources and, and provide that to the front lines because it is needed. And I think that it's just a matter of, you know, rationing. Now, obviously, if, if a dentist op- office is going to stay open and see their emergent patients, which I don't know, you know, how many emergent patients that you guys would see in a day. Um, but if you're going to see, you know, that many people, then maybe try to minimize how many people are in the office that day and who's utilizing the, the PPE just to save that up. But I think if, if, if there's no PPE in the ER and the dentists have all the PPE, I'm going to come find y'all. We, I'm, gonna need you. I'm glad you said that. Now I know where all the, the PPE is. I'm going to come and find y'all. Dr. Dennis, Dr. Dennis has them all. To go find some N95 masks. Dr. Dennis has them all, he said. He was telling me that. Oh, okay. I need his address. I'm going to have to get his work address. <laughs> were you wearing a lot of uh i guess before covid uh in what cases would you wear an n95 mask tuberculosis suspected tuberculosis cases we would do that for sure Um, because that's an airborne um Mm -hmm. uh, infection so tb is the main one and so we didn't use them as much as we go through this i probably wore an n95 Maybe mm, once, twice a month. Not that frequent. Okay, and I and did, you, did you have a, a? I I've never worn an N95 mask. I don't have mm-hmm. them in the office. You have to uh, be fit tested. Yeah, you have to be fit tested. So that, that was my next question. Tested. Yeah, you have to be fit tested. Now, when you guys, I, I don't know how when you guys deal with uh, procedures. When you have a patient who has. TB or suspected T or suspected TB. Do you guys ever wear have a case where you have to wear N95 in your dental practice? 
Never. 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 Wow. So that would mean that every dentist needs to get fit tested basically to how to use it because you can't really wear an N95 unless you get fit tested. So I'm guessing, you know, if you're going to be seeing patients, uh, you better make sure that they really don't have any risk of COVID and answer no to all those questions, but you, there is a chance that they could still have it. And so, you know, if, if no one's wearing, has been fit tested for N95s, that's kind of, I don't know, I guess wow. you're just wearing a general surgical mask and, um, which is fine. That's what, that's, that's what we're told is okay. But you guys are doing, dealing with aerosols and blood and saliva in the air. And when I'm doing an intubation, I wear an N95. I wear full garb and mm-hmm. I, I feel like what dentists do is equivalent to intubating a patient. So mm-hmm. I feel like if that's what you got, if you guys are going to be in someone's mouth doing all that, you need to wear an N95, which now means that you need to be fit tested, which gets into a whole nother. Um, I mean, ball game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if if you don't have the seal, then it's not doing anything. No, it's not doing so, anything. You know, so I, you better. You wow. Know. This you is know, tough. These are tough. These are this is a tough conversation, guys. This is this is. There's no easy answer. There, the dentist has. There is a small small risk. There is a small risk, no matter how much you screen that patient. Well, okay. Speaking of screening, like, what are the most important questions that we should probably be asking? You know, mm-hmm. we we can. I mean, I know. Dr. Dennis had a wonderful chart. I mean, literally a lot of questions. How many questions, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Dennis, did you have on your paper? It was, I want to say it was like 20 to 25 questions. I mean, mm-hmm. it went, it went from like, in a, in one week's time, it went from five questions to like a whole page. Right. Mm-hmm. And then right. it got to the point where, because we were asking like, oh, have you been in this state, this state? And then it was just like, just asking if they traveled. <laughs> yeah. Because there were so many places right yeah so what are the what are the key questions that you think every dentist should ask i mean we know from studies coming out of china that a majority of these patients had a fever you know there are people who present without fevers or are asymptomatic people just because the incubation period of the virus is you know two to 14 days so there are people who don't have symptoms at all however the the the, um uh, clinical manifestation that was present in several of the patients was fever. And so fever is generally a good screening tool. Have you had a fever? Have you had a cough? Um, and after that, there's so many symptoms. You know, I've had patients present with abdominal pain. I've had patients present with diarrhea. Um, diarrhea is very common. So there's, there's just so many questions. Travel history is super important. And then, then also, have you been in contact with anybody with suspected or confirmed COVID cases? Have you been in contact with anybody who has been sick, sick as in cough, fevers, chills, um, diarrhea? Have you been in contact with anybody or have, You've just been socially isolating, you know, and I, I think those are all relevant questions. And and you better be able to deal with people who lie, because people lie. People so, do lie. And if, I, if, my, if, if people's teeth hurt <laughs> and they want to see a dentist, they're gonna lie. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that they they they've started talking about uh, loss of taste and smell. Oh my goodness! I this this early on when we were still learning about this, I think weeks ago, um, we had a patient come into the to the ER like this, and you know honestly, we were like, well, we at the time nobody was really talking about this, so at the time we just just said, you know, hey, come back if these symptoms develop, but just self isolate. But we weren't thinking COVID, and then later now there's so much information out there about it, and so these people. Um, Definitely, this is we're seeing a lot of these people coming in with that symptom, 
Um, and I can't tell you why or uh, how that mechanism works, but that is also a question you can add on to your list of 20 things, you know, <laughs> but um, <laughs> just be prepared because, you know, the incubation period for this virus is you know, several days. So people may answer no to these questions and, you know, it may be, it may be yes at some point. So it may be as you, you dentist office, you can screen them over a period of time, but then, hey, that would be if it's an emergency they don't you don't have the luxury to watch them for you know seven days and see if anything has changed um so i don't i i I don't know so but yeah those are the screening questions i would say to ask to protect yourself dr dumpert now the um to get a test for somebody for for covid uh are they pretty um, available at this point, or is that something that is reserved for, you know, the, the sickest of the sick people? Yeah, we are reserving these tests for the sickest of the sick people. So, um, you know, and that has changed on a weekly basis. So initially we were, um, trying to swab, you know, everybody who was coming in and then we realized we don't have enough tests. And so then we reserved the tests for, um, own people who have risk factors as well as people who are admitted. And then we ran out of the test. And so now we are only swabbing for people who are admitted to the, who, who are going to be staying in the hospital. And so, um, and we, it may change again as more tests come back. If more tests come back, we'll probably test more people. And so it is changing by the day. If we had an abundance of tests, we probably would screen every single person, but unfortunately we don't. And so we have to decide who needs it. And that is going to differ from every institution. And so if an institution can test everybody, that's what they could do. But if they can't because of resources, then they have to figure out who needs to be tested. And so um, that's going to differ. And so if you want to get somebody tested before they, you know, go to uh, get a procedure, that's not unreasonable. If if somehow dentists could get a hand, could get their hands on a couple of tests, you know, but then also there's a false negative rate with the test too, but it's a good, it's good if someone um, is asymptomatic and maybe they're having an emergency and you guys work something out. Just another thought, throwing a thought in the air. Um, you know, if there was a way to, to get your hand on uh, a few of these tests, that would be helpful. If you don't, if, if you have limited tests, there's no way. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you I saw there was a church, there was a church the other day who got their hands on some tests and they were screening people. So what? how do they get their hands on? Yeah. So, I, I mean, and then all the foot, all the famous people who are getting tested oh, don't get me all the time. That. I mean, every actor has gotten tested. Every, you know, every athlete Alba. has gotten tested. So I oh. mean, if 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 they have enough money, they're they're getting their hands on so, these tests. So I'm just saying that was the money they spent to get their kids into UCLA. There. <laughs> <laughs> that, to be there honest, I, I got an email from uh, Henry Schein that uh, with the the FDA FDA approving the the rapid response uh, antibody test. Oh, mm. by uh, uh, Abbott. Uh, Henry, yeah, yeah. Henry Schein was. Uh, Big dental supplier, uh, mm. medical supplier too, but they were saying that, you know, they might be starting to be able to sell to dental offices these rapid response, you know, get a, get a, your results back in 15 minutes and. I'm again, supposed to be free? Well, <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing. Not to us. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
mean, an antibody test is great too, but what if a patient hasn't, you know, had the time to mount that response yet to, right. to you know, to have test positive for antibodies? So, I mean, but I think it's a, it's, it's, it's great. Um, I think it would be an awesome thing to have, but you have to think about that also. So. Okay. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. This was a very sobering, um, uh, episode. Because it really allows us to kind of understand how ill-prepared I think we are as a dental group. You know, uh, we talk about N95s, we talk about negative pressure rooms and stuff. But just like you said, we're not even fitted for the proper N95 usage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not. I can guarantee you, not every dentist has gone online to learn about you know uh, proper PPE, proper uh, isolation with this whole COVID-19. Mm. I think everybody should. I, I, Dr. Dennis, I want to say you you did a CE or something recently, right? A webinar? Yeah, I've been I've been trying to uh educate myself as much as possible as far as um Oh good. uh mass uh any type of uh well, SARS, COVID, um PPE that would be necessary. Um and it's, uh, there's a lot. Like, I know about the fit test. I know about the seal test. I know, you know, the difference between P100 and N95 and mm. all the different types of masks and, and whatnot. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot to it. Uh, and most, I tell you, all the dentists that I work with, they think I'm like a psycho when it comes to <laughs> PPE on a regular basis. Right. And other so, stuff, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, this is, like, this is, this, is a uh, definitely next level right uh, for yeah. me even you know yeah. so, something i've been seeing online with dentists are kind of innovative people uh mm. I, I think especially with the technology that's in some of our offices mm. right now uh there are some i mean we have 3d printers we have scanners we have all, mm. all this thing stuff. so there are dentists out there that are using their 3d printers to make masks for themselves and uh a roomba like the the vacuum cleaner, the, the Roomba filter snaps into the mask. It's a HEPA filter, mm. and they're making their own masks uh, to be able to treat people that are better That's than awesome. what an N95 would be. Uh, the, the Pennsylvania Dental Association is uh, working on scheduling uh, proper fit testing for the N95 masks. Uh, they said they have been able to get their hands on some of them, but they're limiting it to one per dentist and their assistant. So they're not given, mm. a, they're not supplying the whole state or anything, but they, they're giving you one mask and fit, and fit testing you. So some of the organized dentistry to, to piggyback off, you know, the last podcast we did, organized dentistry starting to come around to try and help us be safer. Uh, but it, we're, we're still not to the level that you guys are at. Mm. Have you guys heard about the, you've seen the paper, it's probably super expensive. It's like, you know, for, for those people who fit testing doesn't work, they recommend the big, um, uh, paper. Yeah. It's like a pow- Yeah. That, that's also, um, I don't know how much that costs, but that's an option too. Instead of just bypassing the whole N95, just having these huge, um, helmets that are, uh, have, respirator. yeah, the respirator basically. So that's, a, that's an option as well. Um, I'm sure it's a pricey option. Wow. So I guess we'll leave it with you uh, since you're our guest to kind of sum it all up. But what advice would you give to dentists, to patients? Because we have everybody listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. advice would you give so that they can kind of 
at least you know take it as seriously as you you you're taking it right uh mm-hmm. what advice would you give to everybody um don't don't go in unprepared i would say it's great to want to help it's it's great to want to keep your business open it all, it's great to want to treat your patients but if you aren't ill prepared you are putting your life at risk you're putting your patient's life at risk you're putting your staff at risk and so i would say that if this is what you want to do you want to treat emergencies during this time you want to treat your patients during this time you really need to be prepared because it's not um it's it's not something to be taken lightly. There are doctors dying out there. There are nurses dying out there. And you do not want to be added to the casualty list. And so please, 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 you know, take take that CME, take that class, you know, go look for that respirator, do what you have to do, but make sure that you are not ill-prepared um, to, to fight this fight. And so I know there's a lot of talk. There's always going to be a lot of... Um, conflict among what is right, what's the right thing to do with within your profession. But at the end of the day, you need to think about yourself. You need to think about your staff, your family, and make the right decision. And I know that you will do the best thing for you and your staff as well as your family. And uh, whatever decision you make, the world will support you for it. I don't think people are going to look back and say that, oh, you know, they did not make the right choice. And so uh, we're all learning here. We're all learning about this virus. We're seeing how it's ravishing our communities and people. And so I, I don't want you guys to be a, a, a part of those numbers. So please um, protect yourselves. Wow. I don't know. I couldn't have said it better. I mean, that was, that was that's perfect. I'm going to shut up and just end it right here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for coming on, Dr. Choa. You are amazing. You are, I mean, you've been amazing since undergrad. I mean, I've known you for so long, but thank you so much for everything, uh, for educating Thank myself. you. You know, really, you really, really appreciate it. Uh, and, you know, if anybody needs to get a hold of you to ask you more questions, uh, give mm-hmm. us, you know, some kind of, uh, some kind of way of getting a hold of you, email or whatever it may be. Sure. So I, I don't know if I introduced myself earlier, but I'm also a co-host of the podcast, oh, yes. Hey Doc, Let's Chat. <laughs> so, <laughs> repeat that. Repeat that again, so, please. Yeah. Repeat so that again. Actually, would you say, Walter? Yeah, repeat that again, please, that that uh, podcast, because okay, I listen yes. to it. Podcast name, I'm sorry. Hey Doc, Let's Chat. So you can actually reach us at HeyDocLet'sChat at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook. Um, so please, that's that's the best way to actually reach us. It's an open email, um, and we will be more than happy to to speak and take all your questions. So thank yeah. you so much. And I'm gonna I'm gonna just double check that that Hey Doc, Let's Chat. That is an mm-hmm. awesome podcast. I mean, really, the only podcast I'm actually ever gonna rep on here is this is that because I've gotten a chance to learn so much, <laughs> and I'm not as I'm not an idiot. Uh, in my, my wife's eye because I know more than than <laughs> I will ever know about you know the reproductive system and what's going on so I'm not an idiot anymore so <laughs> thank you very much for that I really Thanks, do appreciate this it great. thank you very much enjoy your night guys awesome. All thank, right. you. thank you bye see you later thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told if you have any questions or comments please email us at realdentist with an S at gmail.com that's realdentist R-E-A-L dentist with an s at gmail.com remember the opinions on this podcast are just that our professional opinions the final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional